Welcome to 2050 Investors, the podcast that deciphers economic and market megatrends to meet tomorrow's challenges. I'm Koko Abouba. I head up economics, cross-asset, and quant research at Société Générale. In each episode of 2050 Investors, I'll investigate a key megatrend that relates to the economy, the planet, markets, and you. What travels every single year, 940 million kilometers, at a speed of 107,000 kilometers per hour? And let me tell you right now, it is not Santa Claus. Even though Rudolph and his shiny nose is quite fast, Santa on his sleigh is not that rapid. The right answer is Earth. Indeed, at this speed, our planet travels 26 times faster than the speed of a bullet shot from a gun. And we are living on it without even noticing it. That's because of the laws of relativity. True, but it also means that we have just completed a journey around the sun and we are back roughly where we were um, last year. That's not technically correct, but I get the idea. You're right, but more on that later. In any case, aliens watching us would scratch their heads in disbelief and wonder why humans get so excited every time their planet does a full revolution around their star. In a few weeks, the year 2021 will come to an end. This means we are one year closer to 2050, another 28 circle trips around the sun to go. But wait, is this good news or bad news? Maybe we're traveling too fast and need more time. You can technically slow down the flow of time by distorting the space-time continuum, but you don't have enough time to develop it. Ha ha ha. Very funny, Siri. 2050 is also the raison d'être of this podcast, the year where we are supposed to reach net zero greenhouse gas emissions if we want to limit the catastrophic consequences of climate change and keep average increase of temperatures below 1.5 degree by the end of the century. We just had the COP26 conference in Glasgow. Was it a good COP or a bad COP? Pun intended. The end of the year is also a time for celebration. The sequence of events as we approach December 31st is quite fascinating. It is when we spend time with our friends and family, take some time off to relax, receive and give gifts. It is a time of significant spending, splurging, eating and drinking and also a time where we send billions of tons of CO2 into the atmosphere. So, the question at hand is the following. Are we hopelessly programmed and addicted to relentless consumerism? Can we reach net zero without sacrificing economic growth? Can we grow without carbon? Let's start our investigation. First, let's take some perspective on our planet with a little trip into space. Full disclosure, I'm fascinated by the universe and the galaxy. I bought a telescope a few years ago to attempt to observe distant galaxies billions of light years away. But I guess central London is not the ideal place to gaze at the stars. Not only is the weather not very inspiring most of the time, but you also can't avoid light pollution. You cannot see very far. That said, I once managed to see and take pictures of Jupiter and Saturn. It was quite an experience. A very interesting article on space.com talks about the speed of the Earth. 
Earth's orbit around the Sun is really an ellipse, but for simplicity, let's assume it is a circle. The distance from Earth to the Sun is roughly 150 million kilometers. 149,597,870 kilometers according to the International Astronomers Union. As we all remember from our geometry class at school, the circumference of a circle is 2 times pi times its radius. You can then show that Earth travels in a year about 940 million kilometers. Correct. And 940 million divided by 365.25 days and then by 24 hours gets you 107,226 kilometers per hour. To put this into perspective, a bullet shot from a rifle ranges between 2,800 to 4,000 kilometers per hour. In other words, it would take a bullet, and assuming there is no friction in space, 26 years to circle the sun. Let that sink in for a second. But that's not all. The Earth spins as well. The circumference of the Earth is roughly 40,000 kilometers, according to NASA. So the speed of rotation at the equator is 1,670 kilometers per hour, or simply 40,000 kilometers divided by 24 hours. This is roughly the same speed as a bullet shot from a regular firearm. But the speed of rotation is highest at the equator and lowest at the poles. You need to multiply the cosine of your latitude with the speed at the equator to calculate the speed of rotation at a given latitude. London is at 51.5 latitude and cosine of 51.5 is 0.33, so 0.33 by 1,670 kilometers equals 551 kilometers per hour. So thankfully, a bit less dizziness here in London. The bottom line is this. We circle the sun at a mind-boggling speed and are spinning like crazy at the same time, like a merry-go-round. But that's only part of the story. The sun has an orbit of its own in our galaxy, the Milky Way which is moving at roughly 720,000 kilometers per hour. And the Milky Way itself is moving at a speed of 403,000 kilometers per hour towards the Andromeda galaxy. Both galaxies are expected to collide in um, 4 billion years. On top of that, according to an article on Wikipedia called Future of Earth, the Earth will be destroyed by the Sun in about 7.5 billion years when it will have entered the red giant phase and expanded beyond our planet's current orbit. Well, we will probably boil ourselves well before Andromeda and the Sun destroys our planet. Whatever the outcome, things are likely to get very, very hot in the very, very long term. But it does not have to be the case in the medium to long term, right? Okay. Now back to our earthly considerations. Where were we? Ah, good cup or bad cup? That was the question. The good news is that new commitments were made at the COP26 in Glasgow, such as phasing down coal, even though the language was watered down at the last minute. And more ambitious pledges were made by some countries. The carbon intensity in many countries continues to fall with new commitments towards renewable energies and more funds were pledged to help developing nations. The bad news is that this is not fast enough. According to a recent UN report, the Nationally Determined Contributions, NDCs, 
will lead to an increase, yes, an increase, of carbon emissions by 2030 of between 8 to 16%. We are therefore heading towards a 2.4 degree global warming scenario by the end of the century. The ugly news is that not everyone is panicking. Just yet. Now, let's discuss our insatiable thirst for consumption and greenhouse gas emissions, the constant trade-off between green and greed that we previously discussed in the season. Put differently, can the creed of greed seed and feed the need for green deeds? The peak in consumption starts around Thanksgiving in November with the famous and probably infamous Black Friday weekend. It is a massive rush and urgency to spend and acquire bargains and discounts. Then we have year-end festivities, which are also synonymous with gifts shipped across the world via complex supply chains, lunches, dinners, travels, etc. To understand the extent of the challenge, I came across a famous equation called the Kaya Identity. It was developed by Japanese energy economist Yoichi Kaya in 1993. It is used extensively in the future emission scenario in the IPCC's special reports. I find it quite elegant and powerful in showing the complicated trade-off between the need to save the planet and the proverbial frog's interest. You mean you, humans, I presume? Yep, absolutely. The frog's inability to sense and react to the slowly boiling water, i.e. us right now. The Kaya identity equation simply states that total emission levels can be expressed as the product of four factors. First, human population. Second, GDP per capita. Third, energy intensity per unit of GDP. And fourth, carbon intensity, emissions per unit of energy consumed. So first, when you look at the human population, it is expected to increase from 7.7 billion today to 9.7 billion by 2050. This is almost the equivalent of having a new country the size of China on Earth. And these future humans will have energy consumption needs and resulting carbon footprints that will be significant. Second, developing countries are gradually increasing their GDP per capita via economic growth, which allows for better standards of living, higher levels of education, higher household wealth. The significant economic boom that China has experienced over the past decades is a very good example. It has allowed hundreds of millions of Chinese to move out of poverty via a massive wave of outsourcing and foreign direct investments driven by the abundance of a cheaper labor supply. This in turn allowed for significant infrastructure spending and investment. China is now transitioning from an export-driven economy to a consumption-driven one with a significant thriving middle class. Third, energy intensity per unit of GDP. Any economic expansion requires energy to increase productivity via the industrialization and the use of machines. As the volume and flows of goods and services increase, investment in transportation and infrastructure are fundamental. The fourth part of the equation is the carbon intensity of your energy. Obviously, fossil fuels, so oil and particularly coal, have thus far been the cheapest and readily available sources of energy to power the economic development of many countries. There is an interesting ratio called ERI, energy return on energy invested. For conventional oil, it is 100 kilowatt hour output for one kilowatt hour of energy invested to produce that energy. 
For Shell Oil, it's 4 to 1. For Hydroelectric, it's 50 to 1. For Wind Power, it's 10 to 1. For Solar, it's 5 to 1. While for Human Activity, it's a sad 2 to 1. Not a surprise that we rely on machines to do almost anything these days. Obviously, fossil fuels are very carbon intensive and they have powered industrial revolutions of many developed countries because of their very high ERI. Renewable energies such as solar and wind have become more price competitive thanks to significant investments and improvements in technology. However, they require funds and resources which are not readily available to many developing countries and for which the competition is speeding up. A good example of that is the recent acquisition of one of the world's largest cobalt deposits, a key ingredient in batteries, by a Chinese conglomerate in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Now, back to our winter wonderland. What will you have for your New Year celebration? For your Hanukkah or Christmas dinner or any other family or friend celebration? An interesting article from Jean-Marc Jancovici, a renowned French energy and climate expert, shows the following statistics. When you drive an average internal combustion engine, you emit 22 kilos of CO2 equivalent. Now, let's look at how much CO2 equivalent is generated by the supply chain of some of the main foods typically used for year-end celebrations, from production to delivery on your plate. These emissions are mostly driven by fossil fuel consumption. On the high end of the spectrum, one kilo of beef generates 21 kilos of CO2. One kilo of veal is 42 kilos of CO2. Shrimps are at nine kilos of CO2, butter at eight, and chicken is at five. On the low end of the spectrum, one kilo of vegetables is equal to less than one kilo of CO2. Milk is about one kilo and eggs three. This is clearly some food for thought, pun intended. Indeed, I only consume electricity. That's true, but let's not forget that digital pollution also represents 5% of global emissions or 2.5 billion tons of greenhouse gases every year, simply because an important part of the electricity used to serve the internet in Asia is generated from coal-fired power plants. Growing into perpetuity, when physical resources are finite, is going to be a serious challenge if we are not able to decarbonize our economy faster than our growth rate. No amount of greenwashing or advertising will be able to fool consumers and voters from this debate over the long run. To quote Abraham Lincoln, You can fool some of the people all of the time, and all of the people some of the time, but you cannot fool all of the people, all of the time. With the new year just around the corner, I'm reading articles on what 2022 has in stock for us. I even just received my copy of The Economist's The World Ahead 2022. Yes, we have challenges ahead. But as my daughter rightfully reminded us during our climate change discussion a few episodes ago, when you start believing everything is possible, then a lot of things stop being impossible. As we have seen during the marches organized by young activists around COP26, Generation Z is fully on board. The onus is on us to make 2022 count. After all, 
we only have 28 years left before 2050. So, to paraphrase Muhammad Ali, don't count the years, but make every year count. Our special guest will conclude this last episode of 2021. It is not Alexa. You almost gave me circuit board attack. It is not Greta, either, but my daughter with the following message. I'm starting with the people in the mirror. I'm asking them to change their ways. And no message could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself, then make a change. Thank you for listening to this episode of 2050 Investors and see you all in 2022 for another journey around the sun. I hope this episode has helped you get a better glimpse of the future of the planet. You can find the show on your regular streaming apps. Please subscribe, leave some stars on Apple Podcasts, leave comments anywhere you like and spread the word. Stay safe, happy holidays and see you at the next episode. While the following podcast discusses the financial markets, it does not recommend any particular investment decision. If you are unsure of the merits of any investment decision, please seek professional advice.